electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner. Front and center this hour, you know what's coming. Bracing for Apple, the world's biggest company by market cap, reporting earnings after the bell. That stock underperforming this year. So is this the moment that things turn around? We debate Apple along with all of the other big earnings movers, our investment committee. With me again, joining me for the hour, Kerry Firestone is the CEO of Arias Asset Management. Jim Labenthal here along with John Nigerian, Joe Terranova. Good to see everybody. Go to the wall. S&P hits another new high today. We're negative, though, now across the board for the Dow S&P, NASDAQ, the Russell yields 10-year 163. All our eyes on Apple, though, right? That's the big story, Doc. This is your Super Bowl. You own the stock. You own the calls. This is the moment we've all been yes, waiting sir. for. How big is this? Uh, it is huge, Scott. And uh, Apple's been doing uh, just so many things right, I think, even though the stock has not outperformed uh, its peers this year. Nonetheless, the, the fact that the App Store accounts for 15 to 30 percent, you know, uh, uh, of the, the revenue that they derive, this is a huge driver uh, right now, and it will be into the future, Scott. They've just started um, more aggressively pushing ads in the App Store. So when those of us who have already downloaded the new uh, operating system sit there looking in the App Store, it's got an ad uh, before you get to what you searched for. It's got the ad running there on the top for right, whatever right. app uh, they might want to push. Let me ask That's you this. That's going to be billions of dollars. Let me Go ask ahead. you this. Let me ask you this. You nervous? Mm -hmm. Are you nervous? Nope. Not even a little bit, Scott. Not even a little bit. I mean, I think that, that the, the new chips, um, this, they already have their M1 chip. They've been moving away from AMD and Intel and producing their own. We've talked about that uh, ad nauseum. Well, the, the new chip, the M2, if you want to call it that, we're not sure what Apple will end up calling it, um, but that is going to be a game changer yet again because it's a combination with these chips of getting things to run fast and not draw too much power. Okay. Right now, everybody's got chips that will run fast, but then they draw a lot of power. Is this new chip going to be some sort of game changer in that regard, Scott? And now you've got a lot of these crypto exchanges like Binance is listing tokenized Apple, uh, tokenized Microsoft. They already had Coinbase and uh, Tesla on there as tokens, Scott. So just like with an ETF, you're creating more demand for the stock through these sorts of applications. Now, Apple has nothing to do with that, and the Securities and Exchange Commission probably isn't all that happy about it, but Binance is offshore. This is not something that they uh, can directly impact, and yet demand for you know, one hundredth of a share of Apple, which they can offer on a, in a tokenized version, is something that even more democratizes all right, all right. trading. So I'm thinking more demand, Scott. You know how it works. Supply and demand, yep. that pushes prices right. up. I bet, I bet that, that 
that guy right there in the upper right hand corner of our screen today is a little nervous. That's Jim Labenthal, the farmer. Why is he nervous? Probably because he's bought the stock more Why? of it recently in recent weeks. And he thinks the next stop is going to be 150 ish. I'm sure he thinks that. Mm -hmm. Are you nervous, Jim Labenthal? Yeah. Well, you know, listen, you know, I'm honest with you, Scott. I'm a little nervous. I feel better after listening to John. I love that unabashed enthusiasm. But here's the thing. The, the stock is up 10% in a month, more or less. It makes me feel good about the shares I added. But recently, the last week or so, it's been sideways. Honestly, the price action's been a little sloppy. So the market is not expecting great things from this quarter. Um, by the way, this quarter, the first quarter of the year is their second calendar year quarter, is not a great quarter for them. So it's not like you're expecting them to shoot the lights uh, out. But here we go I'm with the excuses here, already. Here we go. No, here no, we go. Wait, Scott, that's not Scott. Oh, Scott, no. I have said 150. Look, it's out there. I'll say it again, 150. Is it 150 tomorrow? That would be nice, Scott. I don't think so. No, I'm not talking about tomorrow. But I do think tomorrow. it's 150. Well, you sound like you're well, I mean, I'm me saying, out. You I'm sound saying, like you're talking I'm about saying, is this stock Is this stock going back to 150 <laughs> or is it going down to 125? Because there are a lot of people watching the program yeah. now who are thinking, well, I sure as heck hope it goes to 150. And I'm a little concerned. Jim Labenthal says, well, this is not really the quarter that I need to hang my hat on. Expectations because the stock's performance has been not great compared to the rest of the fangs are low. Scotty, Scotty, Scotty. Yeah. Scotty, I, listen, you know what? The easiest thing I can say to the folks watching is look at what I did. I bought it 120 to 125. If it goes down to 125 tomorrow, I am not going to be thrown from the horse. This is a fabulous company. By the end of this year, I think it will easily set a new high. I think it'll do it over the summer and be over 150. So I can't tell you what tomorrow's share price can bring. Nobody can tell you that. But I do think over the coming months, this stock is going higher. Why? Tremendous cash flows. Those cash flows coming from, from the services uh, business that John mentioned, buying back shares like crazy. Do we really think that there isn't a good iPhone upgrade cycle going on right now? Of course it's good. It's a question of how good. Yeah. So don't worry about tomorrow. Worry about December 31st, and you're going to be very happy buying this stock at 125 or 135. Is that what we need to watch, Joe, more than anything, the upgrade cycle? As Jim says, I, I, don't, I, I honestly don't know how great that's going to be. Or is it more about the wearables, the accessories, the services, sort of that next generation of Apple, if you will? Uh, let me, let, so let me throw a curveball to, to really set you off. I think the unappreciated catalyst for this quarter is actually shareholder return. They have a desire to be cash neutral uh, on their balance sheet. They've got $112 billion in debt. They've got $195 in cash billion. And they're churning about 75 to 80 billion in free cash flow. So they're going to look at what Alphabet did yesterday with the $50 billion buyback. I think they're going to have to increase significantly their buyback and increase the dividend. And ultimately, I think uh, their shareholder return could be the story for this quarter. Maybe, Kerry, it's better that the stock, I mean, okay, it's run 10% in a month. So it's run a little bit into the number, but overall it's underperformed. Maybe shareholders saying, you know what, that's better off. It's not a Microsoft. Microsoft knocked the ball out of the park. Then they got up and they knocked the ball out of the park again. And the stock is down today because the stock's been such a great performer. It's up 14% is Microsoft year to date. So you got to be careful what you wish for, too. Some people just sell stocks to take some profits, even though if the quarter's been great. I wonder what's going to happen with this one. 
Well, I, I think that Apple, which has had less of a run, it's up 17% since I think March 9th, but it's been underperforming since September 2nd, has less of a likelihood to get hit hard than any of the other things. And that's because there has just not been this drumbeat of enthusiasm about how great everything has been. As the stock has been underperforming, people have used Apple as a source of funds for months now. And it just has been, I'd say, on the underside of you know hot ideas in technology. And if they report a decent quarter and talk up things such as the cash flow or repurchasing shares, discuss China, the Chinese business has got to be very strong. China's opened in all places, and you hear about the consumer spending in China has to be very good for Apple. They'll talk about the new operating system, pre-selling the iPhone 12, the services businesses and what they're doing in advertising, that's going to generate a lot of enthusiasm. It's going to be hard, I think, to push this stock down much, even if it's slightly lower expectations about the next few quarters. That shouldn't be more than a few points to the Apple shares. And so I think it's going to be okay this quarter. And it could come out with something that generates excitement and we'll see a, a, a really nice day. Joe, if you want the NASDAQ to go higher, you, you better hope that Apple does well. I mean, right? Agreed. The market mm-hmm. cap weighted index. Microsoft's down today. There are questions about where Apple stock is going. It's been stalled out. Yes, it's had a nice little burst over the last month. But if you're a tech investor, if you're watching this program, you've got a lot of money in the NASDAQ and those type stocks, you better hope that Apple knocks it out of the park because the next leg higher for the NASDAQ, where's it going to come from if it doesn't come from mega cap tech? Well, it would only come from a pullback in yields and long-duration assets right now are in a vulnerable position once again because the 10-year Treasury is rising to 165. Energy is favored. You've got much better conditions related to Europe. And the first of month is coming next Monday. And I suspect you'll see a lot of the safe haven inflows into U.S. equities, in particular for mega cap technology. They'll come out now that there's some better conditions in Europe. They'll go into European equities. They'll go into emerging market equities. So there has to be a blockbuster fundamental earnings report received into the market from Apple tonight for there really to be a fundamental catalyst to take that technology higher because cross currents are coming in the coming weeks in the form of higher yields and the reopening of Europe. Unless you think, Jim, that, you know, look, Alphabet. Hey, Scotty. Yeah, yeah. I was coming to you anyway. No, no, no. What well, you got? Yeah, well, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for jumping in, but you know, your question about the Nasdaq and whether Apple can lead it. I think there's something else that's been holding back the Nasdaq besides large cap tech, which has had a rally. I think it's the renewables. I mean, you look at you look at Tesla. All right, it's off 10% in two weeks. Um, didn't have a good response to its earning, earnings report. You look at some of the other renewables like an end phase. There's been, that was an important part of the NASDAQ. Not as big as tech, I'll grant you that. But that's what's been kind of weighing on the NASDAQ, if you ask me. Um, you, you mentioned Google, which obviously is crushing it. That's not as big as Apple in the NASDAQ, but it's still big. I don't think the problem yeah. for NASDAQ has been tech, and I don't think it's going to be tech. 
I think it's some of these higher priced portions of the NASDAQ that are coming down to reality, and that's what's holding it back. I think that's going to continue, no, too. But, that, but, that, but that's exactly why, Jim, I suggest that in order for the NASDAQ to take the next leg higher, it has to come from the four horsemen of tech of mega cap tech or thereabouts. These big, big cap tech stocks need to be the ones to lead perhaps if the NASDAQ's gonna have a next leg higher because a lot of those high growth, high valuation stocks have come back down to earth. Some of them like Tesla, as you're suggesting, haven't traded all that well lately. So where's the next leg gonna come from? That's why Facebook is important today too, Jim, right? I, listen, I, I agree. I think the point I'm trying to make is I don't think we need to put it all on all of large cap tech. Google knocked the cover off the ball. Microsoft knocked the cover off the ball. It's off a little bit. Facebook, I think, should do well, although there is a risk with Facebook. I mean, let's face it. The new change in the Apple iOS system that causes people to opt in to have their uh, data used by Facebook, I'm surprised that people aren't paying more attention to that. So I'm not, I, I, Facebook might get a little bit of a comeuppance today, but Apple, Amazon, Qualcomm, there are others in large cap tech. It doesn't have to be across the board that large cap tech wins. Kerry? You can have a few Googles and a few Microsofts to, to carry the day. Okay, Kerry? On Facebook, well, we like Facebook. Uh, we, you know, we think it's an attractive stock right here. It's selling for a slight premium to the market. Uh, multiple and you know it's got a lot more growth coming not only are they uh, one of the heavy advertisers and I know Jim made a good point about Apple's operating system and privacy but even considering that Facebook is still able to target advertising based on preferences that the consumer that the users are putting into the system so it's it's not as if it's destroyed the model that Google and Facebook have used and their algorithms. They're still able to do a lot of targeting. So the advertising market is good for them, will continue to be good this year. And you've got WhatsApp and Instagram still way under monetized in terms of the value that Facebook can derive from them. So, you know, we think it's, again, a stock underperformed, just began to outperform in March and should continue to and ought to have a good quarter. You notice how Jim just slyly threw Qualcomm into the mix in his conversation about the stocks <laughs> yes. that are important today. Did you notice that? I, I definitely caught that. I'm sure some of the viewers did too because it reports mm -hmm. after the bell. I mean, Jim, talk about a stock you've been hanging your hat on. This is one of them. Yeah. Yeah, I, and, and I have been. I'm not backing off of it. Uh, I don't like the price action into tonight's number. I don't, I don't, but look, I'm not trading around this quarter. This is a stock that much like Apple, I think we're gonna see nice new highs. Uh, it's got another about 15% to go to a new high. I think you'll see that before the end of the year. Again, and I'm not being a smart aleck, is, does it happen tomorrow? Highly unlikely. By the end of the year, yes. And that's a great return to look forward to over the next eight months. So, look, if you want me to come on tomorrow, maybe I'll be eating pie, maybe it'll be humble pie, maybe it'll be Boston cream pie, I don't know. Uh, but I do feel that by the end Cherry. of the year, both of those names are going to be nicely higher. Okay, I wanted to give you a chance to at least go there since you, you do own uh, Qualcomm. Doc, you have Qualcomm calls for, for what it's worth. Yep, and I'm right there with Jim, like it. Um, Gosh, Scott, uh, anybody, this, this side of tech has pricing power like crazy. Um, Qualcomm, NVIDIA, um, AMD, even though AMD, the reaction today, not quite what I expected, but nonetheless, 
Um, going forward to Jim's point, if you're somebody with a little patience, that one's going to outperform like crazy. Here's, here's why I think Facebook's going to do so well too, Scott. The ad numbers out of Google were phenomenal, obviously. And then they announced a whole bunch of other things like that $50 billion uh, buyback. But how about this? They said 1 billion hours a day are watched on YouTube. That is a phenomenal number, Scott. And it, it speaks to, of course, how many people have migrated over to YouTube instead of perhaps some of the network and other ways of watching and uh, consuming media. But I think Apple, uh, the reason it's been held back this year, Scott, just to you know, put, a, put a bow on it, was Warren Buffett. And I don't blame him. Uh, we talked about it here on the show back in uh, January when Mr. Buffett announced that he had lightened up. Um, and for that reason, that's the, really what took the stock from the 130s into the teens. I know. And it's been climbing back up. You know, His position is like still worth like $30 billion or whatever management. it is. Some, some astronomical <laughs> oh, yeah. number. I, I, I probably have that number wrong, but yep. probably not by much. <laughs> right. He, he's still, uh, the firm still owns a ton of it. Mm -hmm. They are still believers. And I think after, you know, this digestive period, basically from that knockdown to where it's come back to now, All right. I think that's why Jim's going to be right about this going through 150. Now, I don't have Pete here to tell me why Microsoft is the greatest thing since sliced bread <laughs> or that Satya Nadella is the greatest CEO this side of Brian Cornell at Target. So... Joe, I'm going to have to go to you on, on Microsoft, okay? What do you make of what's happening with the stock today? Knock it out of the park earnings. Kramer couldn't say, couldn't say enough nice things about the quarter that Microsoft booked, and yet the stock is lower today. Great report, he said. People just want to take some profits. They're going to take some stocks down based on nothing. He tweeted there was nothing wrong with Microsoft at all, and it should be bought. Is this a cautionary tale for those who rode some of these stocks way up into their numbers? No, it, it, it is not. Uh, I think the Azure growth matching the prior quarter at 50%, that's been cited as being disappointed. But I always look at positioning. Positioning from Microsoft was incredibly high in terms of the number of funds that were allocated there. It's also viewed as an ESG stock, so all the ESG funds own it. And if it is going to see a, a little bit of a correction, which I think it is about to see, you've got the 50-day at 242, the 100-day at 233, and the 200-day at 222. So we could easily fall back to those levels. I would add more to my current position because the fundamental strength of this company over multiple years will still dominate. Oh, okay. I thought you were. And had Scott, few, yeah. just real quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. I'm uh, sorry. I, did, I didn't realize Joe was just done. Now. He, he, he sounded like he had a few more words to get out there, but that, that's all right. Doc, go ahead. Uh, all right. Pete just texted me and he said, Satya Nadella said, digital <laughs> adoption curves aren't slowing down. They are accelerating, Scott. And he said, this is the beginning, not the middle innings. This is the beginning. So that's why you should get all bulled up about this earnings report. And the fact that you're getting a 3.5% pullback or wherever it is right now, I think that's a gift. And that's from Pete hey. for you, Scott. Yeah, okay. uh, Scott. Carrie, are you, are you a buyer on this dip? If it goes down even more, will you be a buyer? Yeah, perhaps. But it's 5% it's off its all-time high. It, it's a stock that was up 50% over the last year, and it's just come down you know, an inch. 
So I, I think that it was a great quarter. Yes, some people are selling maybe their investors who are a little disappointed. Same as with Apple. These, you know, double trillion dollar companies are sources of funds. And maybe because interest rates went up a little bit, people moved some money around. They put some money perhaps into fixed income. You know, who knows? But I don't take it as a sign that there's anything wrong with Microsoft. They raised the guidance for the second quarter. It's not as if they stood still and said, you know, we had a great quarter. Now the next one or two aren't going to be very good. You know, they're, they're running on all cylinders and all of their three business segments were ahead of expectations. And even the bulls thought that the numbers were good. So, uh, you know, I think it's it's a stock. Yeah, it can pull back a little bit. We would buy more because we're underweight Microsoft and it would be an opportunity if the stock came back. You know, I don't know, to the 50-day moving average, I don't know if it'll even get there. Okay, Joe, give me something real quick, like 30 seconds literally on Pinterest. Stock's getting smoked today. You sold it about, I don't know, like 12 days ago or something like that. Um, obviously, you're happy that you did that. But any interest, if you liked it then, are you buying it today on the discount you're getting? No, I sold it on April 16th when it went from 84 to 75. What I don't like is when a company says that the retention of MAUs from 2020 are in place, but we don't know if or when they are going to leave. That's concerning to me, Scott. So the absence of clarity uh, and the ability to retain the MAU growth from 2020, I'm not going to buy the stock here in the dip. Okay. Um, interesting to hear you talk about that. The other big story, of course, today, decision day for the Fed. More attention obviously being paid on what Chairman Powell says rather than what the Fed actually does today. Our Steve Leisman is with us now. Steve, it's good to see you. Is, is he going to stick to the party line, you think? I'm not even thinking about thinking about thinking about, or is there something new going to happen today? Um, the only thing that could be new today is if he drops one of those thinking about, Scott. I don't think he's going to. I think he's still very much on pause. I think he's uh, looking through this uh, concern about inflation that's out there. He's looking through what's probably right now double-digit growth in the United States in this quarter. Uh, and he's looking through the huge fiscal spending that's happening until we get jobs uh, uh, down to where it was before the pandemic on or thereabouts and or uh, when uh, he sees the infection rates come down uh, probably in the fall. What, what about the idea of what some, some more people are talking about these days, Steve, about, you know, it's time for the Fed to at least start talking about taper, that there's too much liquidity in the system and things within the stock market and certainly in certain parts of it and beyond are starting to get a little bit out of hand. I want you to listen to what Rick Reeder told us, and I'd like your reaction to it because it, it plays right into how he sure. and some other investors who control a lot of money are thinking. Here's Rick Reeder. I'll feel more comfortable when the Fed starts to actually move and actually starts to describe tapering. And while the markets may have a tough time with that, I think changing that communication is really important because putting $120 billion a month into a system that is already flush with liquidity, you know, is a bit is overdoing it a bit. And that's where I think you need to see this pair back a little bit. All right, Steve. So, I mean, I guess it comes down to how much of a bubble the, the Fed wants to inflate before it says anything. Yeah, I mean, Rick has a lot of company. If you look at the uh, results of our latest CNBC Fed survey, Scott, 68% say QE is not needed at all to help the markets function. 65% say it's not needed, even needed to help the economy. So uh, I think we could have done away with QE a, a long time ago, given how low rates are, given how well the economy seems to be coming back. But Powell, I think, wants QE as a buffer. He wants that out there as a way to keep the markets from uh, 
from raising from thinking the Fed is about to raise rates. As long as the QE is out there and the Fed isn't tapering, the market is not going to start to price in higher rates. Scott, I just want to before I leave you with this one idea. I think the thing that matters the most is not the inflation rate, not the GDP rate, not the fiscal spending. I think it's still the infection rate. And I think what the story is that Powell does not want to go into the fall. If you look at the course of infection rates, we had a huge spike back in the fall of last year. I don't think Powell wants to be seen to be uh, uh, tightening into that rise in the slope. Probably not going to happen again. Hopefully not going to happen again. But I think he's going to want an all clear from the CDC, the NIH, the PDQ before he starts to raise rates that we're all clear on a rebound in the infections. I threw out my bubble comment and you didn't even react to it, which I was somewhat surprised by. But maybe Powell is taking some comfort in the fact that some of the more euphoric sides of the market are self-correcting. In, in, in a sense, right? Yes. SPACs have, have self-corrected. NFTs seem to be self-correcting. Yeah. Those massively high-flying growth tech stocks with huge valuations have self-corrected. So you, you think that factors into how they're thinking about the type of bubble that they may be inflating? I, I think so. I think they like to see some steam come out of very, very hot markets. I mean, we keep asking Powell whether or not he thinks markets are overvalued, and uh, uh, he says no. Um, and by the way, it's not like the markets are acting like they are overall overvalued with specific sectors get hit. I think that's something that gives Powell some relief. All right. We'll see what happens today, Steve. You'll be all over it. We know. Thank you for coming on here. Steve Leisman, our senior economics reporter up next. Shares of Boeing are taking a hit after posting a wider than expected loss. What should you do with the stock? We'll let you know. We're also going to talk Starbucks and Visa as well. And ahead of the NFL draft kickoff, NFL Network host Rich Eisen, he joins us. Run, Rich, run. Doing a lot of great things in the community and for St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. We'll talk about that when we come back. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit odfl.com to learn more. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Welcome back. I'm Rahel Solomon, and here is your CNBC News update at this hour. A prosecutor in North Carolina says that Andrew Brown Jr. drove his car into law enforcement officers before they opened fire and fatally shot him. He also disagrees with Brown family statements that the car was not moving when the shooting started. We're now hearing from a juror in the Derek Chauvin trial. He says that most of their deliberations were spent convincing one person who was uncertain about part of the jury instructions. 
Otherwise, he says that deliberation should have taken about 20 minutes. The leader of Northern Ireland is resigning. First Minister Arlene Foster says that she'll step down at the end of June. The move comes after key members of her party signed a letter of no confidence. And the FDA is reportedly close to ordering a ban on menthol cigarettes. The agency faces a Thursday deadline to respond to a petition on the issue. The decision would have no immediate impact on sales. Instead, it would start a rules-making process that can then take years to complete. Scott, you're now up to date. I'll send it back to you. All right, Rahel, appreciate it. Thank you very much. The busiest week of earnings season continues. Shares of Boeing, though, they are sinking today after reporting a wider-than-expected loss. Jim Labenthal, you own it. And on that note, I do have a question for you from Steve in New Jersey to Farmer Jim. Quote, do you regret not parachuting out of Boeing with Stephen Weiss prior to earnings and the, the announcement? He notes that he's sold and he's back in for another trade. But do you regret that, Jim? I, we, 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 no, I don't. We gotta, we gotta give our boy Steve Weiss a W once in a while because he's been sorely lacking in those recently, at least as far as he and I go. So uh-huh. you get the win on that one, Steve. That'll keep you out of the psych ward for now, anyway. I bought some more this morning too. So <laughs> oh, you I'm did. Not by any, well, you bought I'm more. Sorry. You bought yeah, more I on did. the dip. I bought, I bought more. I bought more. What this dip is, it's not about first quarter earnings because the earnings were terrible. We knew they were going to be terrible. Were they a little more terrible than expected? Sure, but I don't care. I think the reason the stock is down is because the street wanted more clarity on meeting 787 delivery expectations for the rest of this year. They didn't get that clarity. But you know what? That is a question of how fast the recovery is going to occur, not a question of whether Boeing is going to recovery. That's the sort of normal give and take in a stock that I can live with. If they said there was a new problem with the 787 or the 777 or the 737 MAX, something that they had a new charge to write off, then I'd be worried. I'm not worried about the pace of this being a a month or two uh, longer than what the street expected. The recovery is on track. Well, I was going to ask you, because uh, you made me think about this, is, you know, the, the way that you and Steve Weiss have a different way of, of looking at this name. Why is Boeing an owning stock rather than a trading stock? Is it for the very reason that you just said? Because you're willing to look out to the long term, whereas maybe you have to be a, more, yeah. a little more nimble in a name like this, given the ups and downs and ebbs and flows of, of what Boeing's done. I think you can be both, Scott. Let me explain this, okay? Because the stock is trading, you know, you go back to June of last year, this is where it was trading. Uh, Granted, that was a little bit higher than it should have, but the point being, it's still trading as if the pandemic is still going on. The pandemic is going on, but we've got recovery, we've got reopening, and this is a stock that in 2022, you should expect to have a three handle in front of it. You should expect it to be in the 300s. Now, can you trade around it? You certainly can, you know why? Take a look at the chart. This stock keeps taking three steps forwards and two steps back. That's not my MO. I'm an investor more than I'm a trader. However, I picked up some more shares today because I think we're at the end of the two steps back and now it's ready for another leg higher. Steve has been doing a good job trading this. I'll give him props, even though I hate doing that. It's all right. You look like you're going to the 21 Club, by the way, for lunch today. Like like the outfit. I feel very, good. Very 21 Club like. Get the burger if you do go. It's pretty good. Starbucks. <laughs> Joe, Starbucks is down 3%, another stock that everybody loves. What do you do here if you've been in this stock listening to you and Josh Brown who said this thing is great, you got to buy it, now what? I think you buy the dip. I think it's a play on reopening in Europe 
uh, better non-U.S. vaccination and, and an improvement in the virus. I think that was the story of this quarter. The U.S., the China numbers, they were both very strong. But this is about Brazil, Mexico, India, and the restriction that were in place in Europe. That's why you're seeing uh, the correction in the stock price. But I think you absolutely buy it. I think we got, I think the 21 Club closed, by the way. We need to get that place back. Burger's too good. It did Other close. Stuff. It did? It That's did a close. shame. Yeah. Institution. It's a New York institution. Somebody rescue that place. Absolutely. All right, Visa. Kerry, you own Visa. Solid quarter. What do you make of it? Well, v- Visa really did a great job with the quarter considering that cross-border volume is still very weak so they beat up the number the stocks underperformed until recently it's really started to pick up the pace payment volume was up 11 percent and they've talked about how in april the volumes are up 29 percent in the u.s and that's a great number compared to 2019 not 20 compared to 19 some of that money is stimulus checks, obviously, but still very strong. So they've set themselves up for a really good second quarter. And, you know, we think there's more to come here for Visa. Uh, it, it really gave us an outstanding quarter, and that's why the stock is reacting so well. Okay. Coming up, John has unusual activity. Plus, we'll get you ready for Amazon's earnings. They are tomorrow. And a reminder, you can always watch or listen to us live on the go on the CNBC app. We're back on the half after this break. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Dr. J, unusual. What do you have for us? Pitney Bowes, Scott, PBI. Uh, they're buying the May 10 calls with the stock at about $9.50. Now, these calls, uh, they bought 13,000 of them. That's 1.3 million share equivalent. I jumped on the nine calls instead, and I'm selling higher strikes against it. Second trade, Scott. Harley-Davidson, July options, so much further out into the future. They're buying the July double nickel, the 55 calls. They're paying about $1.45 for that out-of-the-money call with the stock right around $49. I'll be in that trade probably for two months. Again, I bought an at-the-money and sold that higher strike rather than chasing that higher strike, Scott. But I'm in both of them, and hopefully both of them are going to be winners. Yeah, monster last year for Hog. Uh, their doc up uh, 125%. Oh, yeah. yeah. All right, thank you. Up next, NFL Network host Rich Eisen is with us. We'll talk to him about the draft, of course, as well as his annual 40-yard dash charity fundraiser for a very, very good cause. Halftime's back in two minutes. All right, the NFL draft kicks off tomorrow night in Cleveland, and one of this year's highlights will be the Run Rich Run annual charity campaign from the NFL Network's Rich Eisen. For the past six years, Rich has run the 40-yard dash to benefit St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. And this year, he enlists some NFL legends and well-known business entrepreneurs to help in that cause. Together, they've donated more than a million dollars to St. Jude. The competition will air on the NFL Network on Saturday at noon. And Rich Eisen joins us live right now as we watch him run. Welcome. It's good to have you on. 
Thanks for having me on. Really appreciate it. You know, I can't believe it's been 17 years that you've actually been doing this thing. Has your time gotten better or worse through the years? Well, I'm a fine wine, um, <laughs> uncorked every single year, usually around the combine. But due to um, COVID, the combine got canceled. Um, so I, I wanted to make sure that I continued to get better. Um, you either wake up with it or you don't. You look in the mirror, you can either feel it or you don't. And I thank God I feel it every year. I, I, I am getting a little bit slower, though, the last couple of years. But the, the number that's most important, obviously, is what we raised for St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. That is exactly right. And tell me about that. The partnership you've had with them has lasted now for the for what, six years? Yeah, it has. We, we turned it into a charitable. I have been running since 2005 just for a lark. Uh, and then about six years ago, we changed it into a fundraiser. Uh, where we ask people to donate and then run their own 40 and their own work clothes at their own place of business safely, obviously, um, and upload the video to social media using the hashtag of Run Rich Run and create some sort of uh, momentum that way with a link to St. Jude to, 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 um, to donate. And uh, last year, I got a call from Mark Glory, um, who I'm sure many of your viewers know quite quite well. Mm -hmm. um, and he found my run, me running in my suit, because that's the way I do it at, at, at my workplace at the Combine. And he, he saw me running in my suit and was wondering what the charity was all about. And then he donated generously for a chance to run with Jerry Rice last year. He wanted to run with Jerry. Uh, and thanks to his largesse and his generosity and all of his friends, either betting on Jerry or him with all the proceeds going to St. Jude, we uh, we raised over a million dollars also with the help of of uh, of the NFL and uh, owners uh, like uh, Steve Bishotti, for instance, of the Ravens give he and his wife, Renee, give generously every year. So this year we expanded it. We got seven more donors uh, from Mark's world and uh, seven more runners from mine and Jerry Rice's from the NFL legends community. And and uh, we're already a, a million bucks in. We ran it at SoFi Stadium, home of the Super Bowl and the Rams, and the Chargers two weeks ago. And. We're going to show it all on NFL Network Saturday during yeah. the draft. You have a great collection. I guess my money would be on Michael Vick from the former player standpoint for, for obvious reasons. But you, Jason Robbins, he's well known to our viewers, of course. Yep. Um, DraftKings draft Kings as well. So you really have put together uh, quite the collection of business leaders and former uh, athletes. I can't wait to see the actual result this weekend. Yeah, and all of them run. Um, Bennett Barrara, uh, Jenny Fleiss, they all run. Um, and Michael Vick was uh, was definitely somebody that everyone was keen to see run. Rod Woodson, Pro Football Hall of Famer, said he had the last time he ran a forty was nineteen eighty seven. So uh, we're gonna we're gonna show them all. Chris Carter, Tory Holt, Ray Lewis, just to name a few. Terrell Davis, who was the the NFL Network analyst sitting next to me in two thousand five when uh, all of this was born out of just sheer boredom, waiting to record a segment. I asked Earl Davis how fast he thought I could run the 40 in my suit and lace up dress shoes. He said basically that I couldn't. I cursed him out, went on the field and ran it, not knowing that the NFL Network production crew was recording it and surprising me with it. Now here we are <laughs> 17 years later, hopefully raising as much money for St. Jude as we can. Let, let me ask you about the draft, if I can. Sure. It seems like the Please. first two picks are obviously – in stone at this point, right? We'd be shocked if anything other than what people have been talking about takes place. It feels like at number three with the 49ers is where things can get really interesting. Yes, that's where things can get a little loose because we don't know who the 49ers 
are going to select. Um, and as if there wasn't enough drama about it, it's been building for a month because it was during Zach Wilson's pro day. And he's the one that you're um, alluding to about being set in stone to the Jets at two. And we all know Trevor Lawrence was going to be number one in the minute he essentially was born. Um, so uh, the question is, it's been about a month ago when the, the 49ers traded all their capital from two drafts uh, first rounds uh, in the future, along with their 12th overall pick to trade all the way up to three. Uh, we've only seen three quarterbacks taken in a row atop a draft twice before last in 1999. We've never seen four in a row. And Atlanta may make history with their fourth overall selection there. And that's the mystery, three and four, and then what happens after that. Can't wait to watch it. I know everybody's excited about it. Thanks for joining us. Appreciate your time, Rich Eisen. Thanks as well for all that you're doing. We should let everybody know the Rich Eisen Appreciate Show airs that. on Peacock. We're proud to have you in the family, too. Monday to Friday, 12 to 3. You can donate. Use the hashtag run rich run. Run your 40. You can donate at stjew.org forward slash run rich run. We'll talk to you soon. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Before I go, one quick question for you. I know you might be out of time, but how did the stocks, uh, how did the market do while I was on the air? Did it go up? It's rising as you're talking. You have a gift. I'm a factor. That's all I'd like <laughs> yeah. to say. There may be an I in Rich and Eisen, but I'm a team player for the markets. All right. so we're, thanks we're, for having we're me. We're at the very least, hopefully off the lows of the day, which is a good sign. Good. Good. All right. My Rich pleasure. Eisen, you be well. <laughs> All right. As we mentioned, the draft does kick off tomorrow. And uh, on Power Lunch, CNBC's stock draft is back. Excited about that, too. That starts at 2 o'clock Eastern. Don't miss that. Up next, our experts take their position on Amazon ahead of its earnings. We're back right after this. Try to get you ahead of Amazon, too, which reports tomorrow. That stock up slightly ahead of that. Doc, you know, we'll talk more about it tomorrow uh, on the show, obviously, ahead of the number. And now there's so much speculation about a potential stock split. Is that what you're exactly. starting to think a lot about heading into tomorrow? Yeah, we are, Scott. And in fact, there's been a fair amount of speculation in the options that uh, would benefit those at the money and just out of the money options, <laughs> not necessarily on an earnings beat, but uh, on a potential for a uh, stock split. Uh, it's uh, rumored everywhere, I guess. And th if that plays out, Scott, I do think even though the company remains the same, that that access to the markets will make it more attractive to some investors. Kerry, an underperformer mm -hmm. um, is Amazon of late, you know, certainly relative to some of the others. What, what do you do with it? Well, it hasn't moved until very recently. Uh, it's, it's, it peaked, I'd say, early September. And so we're starting to see investors begin to come back because, look, this revolution toward accelerating e-commerce is still in play and it's not ended because people are going to go out to a store people buy online we know that's happening and we've heard now from both microsoft and google how strong cloud storage is and that's good for aws yeah. we think that's going to have an extremely good quarter so the split we we think that the quarter will be fine and the stock can continue to outperform i'll tell you who, who needs yeah. amazon to do well is the joe t right <laughs> You knew exactly where I was coming to you, the Joe T ETF. I mean, people followed you, yeah, followed that, and you into that from this program. So, yes, absolutely. You know, you and I had a conversation regarding the stock split a couple of months ago, and you are obviously correct with your thoughts back then. The only question becomes, Scott, which stock gets tossed out of the Dow Jones Industrial? 
I think to Jimmy's disappointment, it's going to be Intel, and they're going to put Amazon in it when Ooh. you see the stock split. What do you think about that, Jimmy? Joe, I, I'm totally out of Intel. I mean, I, I feel like a new man. I, I don't know. Yeah, Joe, it's going to trail you forever, memo? though. Sorry, <laughs> man. How? I mean, it's going to trail you forever. Uh, <laughs> you have ba- that's baggage. That's what they call that. One stock's okay. going out of the Dow. Right, you get- we got to figure out which one it is. That would be crazy. You hey, guys, Jim, I got a question are, for you, by you the way. You guys have the memories I, I, of elephants. I got a question from a viewer real quick. He <laughs> says, for a guy with organic chemistry and molecular biology on your bookshelf, which he has too, by the way, I don't hear much from you about biotech. What's up with that? No love or not interested? Serious question. Actually, it's a good question. And I think the reason I haven't been doing much in pharma or biotech recently is I just haven't liked the political wins. But, but if you notice, President Biden hasn't been going after drug pricing in the proposals he's putting forward. So I think it's a great question and I need to start paying a little bit more attention now that the political winds seem to be easing against, uh, you know, uh, putting in drug price controls. Well, I mean, he's been a little busy with other with other things like talking about raising taxes and things like that and the virus, you know, he might get to that. Let's let's hope he doesn't come back to it. All right, we'll take a break. We're back with final trades. Carrie, final trade from you first, please. Thermo Fisher, it's down 8% from its peak in November. It's in three sweet spots of healthcare instruments, testing and clinical research. Okay, thank you, Doc. Heron Therapeutics, HRTX, biotech stock, I bought calls today, Scott. Farmer Jim. Kinder Morgan, the strength in its business is finally being recognized. All right. The ETF known as Joe T. EQT, (laughs) natural gas prices up over 11% this month. All right, good stuff. Good to see everybody. Bracing for Apple. Can't wait to see what happens and to talk about it on tomorrow's show. We'll see you then. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, The ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.